Ephesians chapter number 6. The last time we were here and looking at this, going through the armor. So what we're doing right now on Sunday mornings, going through the book of Galatians on how to find freedom. And on Sunday night, Wednesday nights, we're covering the, uh, this matter of spiritual warfare. And we've moved into the, now the matter of the armor. And we've looked at two pieces of equipment. The breastplate of righteousness is the, the second one where we left off and we're picking back up. So it's the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness seeing the significance of this. So let's stand and we'll read our text beginning in verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes, and after giving great doctrinal, uh, rich um, theological help to us as to what is found as our inheritance in the heavenly places, he then moves into the practical aspects in chapter 5 and 6 in serving and living our home life, married life, church life. And, and then he says in verse number 10 of chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, because of all this that has been stated, and by the way, what he was saying was that we're to stand, be strong in the Lord, because it's not in our strength. But don't lose ground to the devil. That's why we say we fight from victory to victory. He's already given us the victory in Jesus, so he says don't lose ground. He's already provided that, and you do that by being strong in the Lord, and He's giving us more resource, put on the whole armor of God. Get all in. Don't dabble with this. You cannot dabble with partial armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to do the same thing. Stand. Don't give up ground. Don't lose the position, the, the, the place of victory that God's won for you. And he mentions specifically against the wiles of the devil, against the all-out onslaught attack of Satan. Verse 12, it's telling us where the battle is, where the real battle, do battle with the right enemy. If your eyes and your living is just simply on the physical realm, then you are already defeated. You've lost ground because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. You may Feel that way, think that way, but God says you're missing that whatever you're facing in the physical realm, within the five senses, it's all being influenced in the invisible realm, in the spiritual realm. So God says, do battle with the right enemy. And so he says again, verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God. He's emphasized that again, that ye may be able to, he's emphasizing it again, withstand, don't lose ground in this evil day, the evil day, again, referring to the, the entrenched wickedness. When all hell breaks loose upon you, you can still stand, not lose ground. So verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So we're going to continue this and looking at the breastplate of righteousness in the second part of this, this message. Thank you. Please be seated. 
When he speaks of the breastplate of righteousness, he's speaking of, I believe, two aspects. One is the positional righteousness that we received in Christ. Positionally, we're placed in righteous standing in Him. He's in us, we're in Him positionally. In other words, we can only get to heaven not by our righteousness. Ephesians 2, it's not by our works, which we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. When He saved us, He placed us positionally. Are you a child of God? If so, you've been positionally placed in righteousness, His righteousness. And one of the reasons is because of what Brother Don just saying. When you accepted Christ to be your Savior, you were declared righteous, justified. You say, I'm, I, I, I'm not. No, we're not, but He is. And when you're placed in Him, we have His inheritance. And God sees us as an uh, heir to God, joint heir with Jesus Christ. We, see, he, he, we, we are given all the benefits that the Lord Jesus Christ has in the family uh, of God. And so we're thankful for that positional righteousness. But I also believe when he speaks of the breastplate of righteousness, he's talking about practical righteousness in daily life. Remember, Satan cannot take away your salvation. But he sure can ruin your life. He can ruin it in a moment. That's why he's come. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's come to steal, to kill, to destroy. He is as a roaring lion. He is your adversary. He's not a buddy. He doesn't have any sympathy. He doesn't empathize with you. He doesn't take any pity on you. He doesn't feel sorry for you. He doesn't weep when you weep. He doesn't rejoice when you rejoice. He is out to ruin and destroy your life. But he cannot do it without your permission. And you can give him permission without actually even knowing you gave him permission. And that's why Paul is very serious about this matter of using military terminology that there needs to be an alertness and awareness. You're in a battle. This is a a, a full-out fight that we're in. Carnal Christianity, we talked about, is, is not simply as... We, it, it's easy for us to label that person as carnal because they're doing bad stuff. But a carnal Christian is actually one that is just simply fixated on the physical. A carnal Christian is one that makes their decisions based entirely on the way they see it, the way they taste it, the way they smell it, the way they hear it, the way they sense it. A carnal Christian is one that will sit in a service and be uh, more interested in the carnal material things. What's going on in the news, in the game that they're playing, checking the email, texting back and forth, looking around for finishing what was in their cart that they didn't buy, doing other things. That's what a carnal Christian does. And they're simply giving their attention to the things in the physical, visible realm. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, look away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so in understanding this breastplate of righteousness and its significance, the first thing that we mentioned was this matter of imputed righteousness. Righteousness that was given to us, credited, put into our account. Again, righteousness, it simply means being 
right, doing right. So positional righteousness, we were made right so that we can practical daily live right. But it's imputed to us. We, we did not get a hold of imputed righteousness on our own. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. We didn't achieve it. We didn't work for it and get it. It was one at the cross. It was given to us as a gift in the person of Jesus Christ so that we can learn how to live it daily. And so how do we get to the living it? Well, we mentioned you've got to know how to come clean. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. You've got to know what it means to come clean. You've got to know how to come clean. Sin manifests itself in different ways. Sin can be overt, outward sins, covert. Sins that are done within our minds, our hearts, our emotions. Sin of commission, doing things in the Bible that it says we should not do. The sins of omission, not doing the things in the Bible that says we ought to do. And one of the major problems in identifying and addressing sin is the standard that we measure it against. Kind of like truth. When we dealt with truth, we said truth, it includes more than just facts and information. The belt of truth. Put on the, 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 the belt of truth, Paul was saying. Well, it's more than just, I've got right facts. It also involves intent, motives. And so it is with right living, righteousness. It includes more than just right behavior. Well, I looked at the checklist, and I'm pretty good on the checklist. But righteousness includes the motivation behind it. It includes why you're doing it, why you're not doing something. In fact, a person can literally do the right thing and yet contaminate that doing with wrong motivation. Because that's not Christ's righteousness. That's not genuine right living. Why? Because if it's motivated by pride, if it's motivated by a form of self, promotion, or maybe it's even motivated by fear, knowing that doing the wrong thing is going to lead to severe consequences, so I just don't want the hammer to come down, so I'm going to do this. And we're missing the motive many times that God is looking for. So I believe that all of us would be surprised if we could genuinely see sin the way God sees it. But Paul did remind us in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We ought to view sin the way God views it. We mentioned uh, in, as an illustration, 1 John 3, God talks about hatred to be equivalent in his eyes to what sin? Murder. You say, well, I'm not a murderer. But God sees if you could carry it out, if you could get what you wanted to get without the ramifications, if you could do what you wanted to do, it's the same kind of DNA as that of a murderer. You know, we mentioned that if a person, if you kill somebody, and not out of self-defense, but you kill somebody, then that would be, uh, you could be prosecuted for murder. If they don't die, it would be attempted murder. You know, if you shot somebody, you killed them out of rage, murder. Out of rage, you shot them and didn't kill them, attempted murder. That's the way the law sees it. But God doesn't see that you're a bad shot. He doesn't see that, well, you know, you didn't aim quite right. 
He sees what you were doing, and the law just has a technicality. If you didn't kill him, it just changes in the degree in which you'd be prosecuted. But God says, I see what you've yet to see, and that is your hatred, the DNA of sin within your life. And until we recognize that dealing with the, the essence of hatred and pride, the essence of bitterness, until we learn to do this, we are trying to get cleaner, but we're not getting clean. Yes, you might have accepted the gift of salvation found in the person of Jesus and positionally placed in the righteousness of Christ. But until you learn how to get clean, you're not going to know how to daily live and practice righteousness. Therefore, you're not understanding what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Satan wants to keep us unaware of our own sin. It's one of his strategies. However, when we confess the sin in our lives, God removes that sin and that stench of stain from us. 1 John 1, 9, God is not only faithful to his promise, but he's just in his agreement toward his son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse us and to forgive us of our sin. We gave the verse in Zechariah chapter 3, which gives us a, an imagery of Joshua coming with his um, filthy, dirty clothes and Satan's accusations and how he got clean when he got honest. And God gave him what he did not deserve, gave him clean new garment. That's the mercy of God. We mentioned in Revelation 12 and verse number 10 how Satan accuses us day and night. So you go to sleep and Satan can keep on working. And the only way you're going to get victory over him is not by hiding sin, but by getting clean with the Savior. And so we're talking about practicing. I think we underestimate the power of getting clean. He that covereth this sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. Too often our prayers focus on how God can bless us, how God can take care of us, how God can protect us. But I think we sometimes miss the fact that he's given us the key to victory, and that key is found in confession. Agree with God. Doing wrong is wrong. Sin is sin. However, unconfessed sin it breeds an even greater environment for sin to continue. So you cover sin. You try to rename it. You try to reclassify it. You find others that have the same familiar stench and stain within their life. It doesn't make any difference what you do. As long as you're in disagreement with sin and the Savior who died for your sin, you're breeding an environment that demons will want to hang out in. And we gave the illustration of trash, how you don't remove the trash in a timely manner. You just invite other unwanted guests to participate in that place of garbage. And unrighteousness, disobedience, it unlocks a door that allows Satan and his demons to enter. And that access principle as Paul describes it in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7, this mystery of lawlessness. It invites the, the satanic realm to have control and influence. And you're not standing. 
Oh, what he's doing is getting your, your focus to be shifted. You've lost ground. And what you can do, however, is not try to get cleaner, but you can confess, agree with God, and you can get as clean as Jesus is. That's the power of 1 John 1, 9. But what happens again in our Christianity, and this is why Paul is hitting in Galatians the way he's hitting this church, is that it's so important that we understand that where the law fits into our life, why the law is significant. But we have to understand the shortcomings of the law, the failure of the, the law is given as a schoolmaster, it educates us as to our sin problem and our need of the Savior. The law is good. Preaching against sin is good. It's just not the answer. The answer, in other words, is not found in the law. Let the law do its job. Let it convict us. Let it be like the mirror that God's Word is designed to be. You can take that mirror in the morning, you look at it, and it tells you how your hair looks, how your face looks. And you can take that mirror and rub it all over your face and look at it again. It's not going to look any better. <laughs> you may think you look better because you've smudged it so that you can't see as clear. But that's not the intent. It's just showing you what needs to be addressed. And the law is going to show us what our true need is. But if we don't let that happen, instead we get into soul management, trash management. We just manage things. We move it here, adjust it here, hide it here. And a couple things happen, again, in spiritual warfare. When we're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, when we're not living in reality, we're not actively living right before God, again, we send out an invitation to allow the demonic realm to hang out in our life. But also a second thing happens, and that is the move, movement of God is hindered. There's just a cut off of the flow and the favor and the fire of God. Listen, if you've walked with God any length of time, you know what it's like to not have the life of God in your, in your, in your life and not have the presence of God. And, and you may be completely deceived yourself, but if you'd ask people around you, they, if they're honest with you, they could tell you, I don't sense the life of God in you. And there is no life. You may have Christ to be your Savior, but there's not the active life, abundant life within flowing through wherever you have just tended to soul management, trash management. And so what must happen? Well, the third dynamic is you've got to learn how to feed your spirit. You've got to feed your spirit. The breastplate of righteousness is designed to protect the vitals, the heart. Be Proverbs 4.23 says, protect your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. The heart in the Bible is similar to the heart in the physical realm. The heart in the physical realm within our chest, it is uh, pumping and controlling the flow of blood throughout our body. And so the heart, our, our spiritual heart, as it's referred to, our essence, our core, it's the spiritual pump that God uses to infuse life into us. See, at salvation, the Bible says we are made new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We're made new creature, create, 
creatures, creations in Christ. And we are positionally placed in Christ. And when we got saved, we talked about that we're made up, we're comprised of three different distinct parts. Body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, spirit. And so those three dynamics, and it's important that we understand because the Bible speaks of those. Whenever we talk many times about salvation, we, we mention the, the, the thought is God saved my soul. You've heard that said. Uh, we, we say Jesus saved my soul. However, the thing that was immediately made new in a person's life when they became a Christian was not the soul. It was the spirit, the spirit within man. See, your soul is in the process of being sanctified. Heard the word sanctification? That's the delivering process. That's the work of God within our soul. Our soul is made up of our mind, our heart, our emotions, our will. That's the real us. And we're just clothed within a body. Our body's not the real us. That's why the body will die at some point. When the physical heart stops beating, the body will die. The soul will live forever. Our soul will live as long as God lives. But when a person gets saved, their old man, the old nature, died. It, it literally died. That's, you see that picture at baptism? The death. Jesus did not pass out. He literally died. So did our old man. See, sometimes the teaching is, well... I've got the old man, I got saved and I got a new man. Now I've got two men in me, the old man and the new man, and whichever one I feed most wins. No, 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 no. Because that's why Paul moves into talking about the dynamics of salvation, the Christian life. He talks about marriage. He talks about one is not freed to marry another until their spouse dies. He didn't just jump from Hey, I want to talk to you about salvation, sanctification, and now divorce and remarriage. No, he's given the analogy that we are not free to marry Christ, be united with him until our old union was severed. And so at salvation, our old man died. And we were resurrected, given a new man. A resurrected, brand new spirit. That spirit is where the spirit of God lives. Where the spirit of the Lord lives. Oh, there's liberty. And there's that new man. That new spirit. And so that's why you can be a Christian, genuinely be saved. But still have addictions. Because the you, the real you, the the, the that which chose to come here tonight, that's your soul. That which chooses not to pay attention when God's been trying to get a hold of you, that's your soul. Your soul can still get angry. Your soul can still get bitter. Why? Because your soul didn't get saved. It's being sanctified. Will it ever become fully saved? Yes. The answer is when? When you get to heaven. It'd be brand new, and you also get that new body. And so the soul, that's your mind, will, and emotions. It's still distorted. It was distorted at birth. And it is telling your body, your soul is telling your body many times what your body's going to do. The problem with that is 
the, the Lord Jesus, the Spirit of God, lives within your spirit. And it ought to be the soul listening to the Spirit of God and your body following. See, that's why we tend to follow feelings rather than the facts of God's Word, because the soul, the soul is, is involved. The soul is, that's your mind. You've got the choosing, but your soul says, well, what would I like to do tonight? When the Spirit of God is living within, and soul, you, me, we ought to say, God, what would you like us to do tonight? That's why Joshua said, as for me, I'm going to serve God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because that's the way God thinks. And if we don't recognize that part of putting on this breastplate of righteousness is protecting this vital aspect known as the soul, our heart, we're going to fall into the trap that Satan wants us to fall into. And what is that? Minimizing the need for feeding your spirit. The need for tending to your soul. See, Satan wants you to focus on managing your mind, managing your emotions, managing your will. That's why there's a plethora of self-help books. Another way to put it is soul help books. And we're looking at what can soul self do to fix self. And Satan wants you to, to stay focused there. Because when you stay focused there, you're focusing on the five senses, the physical. You're, you're going to get wrapped up in, he's going to feed you more things. You want to do something else? Would you like to do something else? Would you like to do something else that's good and righteous? Don't you want to please God? And he'll throw something else at you. And it's just like this, this Christian hamster on a wheel. We're just doing more and more and more and more and more. And what is he doing? He's running you ragged. And he's going to get you to think, oh, it doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. This doesn't work. This whole thing is a sham. And we're going to begin moving to a place as of trying to experience. Oh, they can, look, they're, they're having a form of Christianity over there. And they're jamming out. They're rocking out. And they're, and, and they're not saying anything about sin. And you've moved from soul management to now soul justification of sin. And you're just moving further and further from God. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to think that way because he knows you'll never be able to fix what your body does. What your own soul does in your own strength. Because our real problem is we have an unsanctified soul. So the work of the new spirit within you. It's, and that's where God lives. If you're saved, that's where God lives. Now, if you're not saved, you've got an old man, the old nature. Your old nature, it cannot do right. Every right thing that a lost person does is still sin. Even the plowing of the wicked is sin because everything is bent from an evil heart. And so once you're saved, you get this new spirit and its design is to pump the life of God into your soul. Pumping, that's the abundant life. That's the victorious life. That's the life of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And the Holy Spirit, that's where the new man, the new spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells there. And it becomes the dominant 
influencer in your life and the spirit of God dominates your soul. That's your mind, emotions, and your will. And your soul is surrendered and submissive to the Holy Spirit living in your new spirit, in the new man. And then you are able to say to the body, as Paul said in Romans 6, Yield not your instruments unto sin and unrighteousness, but yield them unto God. And you say, body, you're not in control. You're not going to eat what you want to eat, how long you want to eat, the way you want to eat. You're not going to watch what you want to watch, how long you want to watch, the way you're not going to sleep as long as you, we belong to God. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. By the way, where is he in you? He's in the new man. That's why the Christian life is inside out. But if you miss it, you're going to think, oh, he lives in my soul. No, he doesn't live in the soul. He lives in the new man. He lives in that inner man so that you and I would look to the one who lives within us. And so what happens when the soul is in charge? When I'm in charge, God living within becomes grieved. He's there. He's still God. Remember Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It's a done deal. That happened. Old man died, resurrected new man, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ, Christ, Christ lives in me. That's what he's talking about. So we need to understand this matter of feeding our spirit. Why? Because when the soul, us, yields to the Spirit of God in our spirit, he becomes the influencer. And that spirit is that which pumps the life of God into our life. That's why, again, religion, what is it doing? Trying to change people on the outside. And what has Catholicism taught us over the years? Uh, It's hard to manage self. And so they just keep pumping out new rules. Change a rule here. Take a different position here. But I love the fact we have a timeless, eternal book forever settled in heaven. God's opinion given to us. And if we're ever honest with ourselves and honest with God, we'd have to come away saying, I can't live this. That's the whole point. We can't, but God can. And so authentic victory happens on the inside out when the new spirit within us pumps God's truth into the different areas of our life. Just as our heart pumps blood to the different parts of our bodies, our spirit pumps the truth of God into our soul. Again, that's our mind, that's our will, that's our emotions. Then our soul is to dictate to our body, body, you adjust to God's standard instead of yourself. Now don't misunderstand. Soul management Managing sin and the propensity towards sin is not a bad thing. I don't want murderers walking around within our church fellowship. Um, I think we would all want people to manage their impulses. But what God is saying is that, why don't you let the Holy Spirit do that versus you? Because you can snap. God doesn't. Soul management won't bring about the freedom and abundant life that God promises. And when you get to the point, I just would, man, I just about, I about gave them a piece of my mind. And, and we're all thankful you didn't because you couldn't afford to lose any. You just couldn't afford to do that. 
But that wasn't victory. When Jesus was reviled, the Bible says, Peter says he reviled not again. Jesus was not sitting there saying, if you only knew, if you only knew, I could call 10,000 angels, destroy the world and be set free. You, be, you better be glad I don't, I don't bat an eye at this point. That's not him. He's not sitting there. No, no, no. No, or as some I've seen in my office when they sit there uh, with their legs crossed and that leg just pumping. It's just like it's, it's just pumping, pumping blood through their body, just so mad. No, 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 no. That, that's, 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 that's called defeat. It's not victory. God's grace enables us to not sin. It enables us to not even want to. If Jesus was threatened and he threatened not, reviled and he reviled not, why do you get ticked off? Edgy? Why do you get moody? Mean? Aggravated? Angry? Bitter? Critical? If Jesus ain't, why do we? It's because you've been living in soul management rather than soul revival, transformation, restoration. See, soul management may stop you from doing something you shouldn't be doing. But here, it has not the ability to deal with the tendency to sin. It can't do that. It's just restraining. And so the battle continues, even though God says it's already been won. And we're going to continue the battle in the wrong place until we get this figured out. And for too many, we, we settle for behavior modification. I don't do what I used to. And it's not because we've allowed God to change us as much as I can't do it anymore. You know, it's like uh, when I was in high school, uh, went to public high school and a lot of, in fact, every, every person I knew, I didn't know of another person on planet Earth at that time um, that didn't go to the movie theaters. And they would say, hey, uh, Billy, we're going to the movies. You're going to go with us. And I said, nope, not going. Why not? Because my mom will give me a spanking. That's why I'm not going. <laughs> and uh, it's ne ne never, never went to the movies. I, 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 I just, my attitude was my mama won't let me. Didn't have all the reasons, but I, my mama never played on a softball team, but she knew how to swing, I'll tell you that. And I, and I wasn't going to do it. My fear was I'd try to sneak into one of those things, I'm going to get a spanking. And, uh, and so I didn't do it. And that's the way a lot of people, a lot of the ways a lot of people look at, well, you know, we become Baptists and we're so temperamental as well as fundamental and we can't do anything. You just can't. So all we can ever do is eat. And so that's why we're fat and, and Baptist. And, and, uh, and somewhere we're looking for scripture for that. And, and we're going to get to that, by the way, in the stronghold. So, so just hold on and, and uh, we'll, everybody will be sick that weekend. So I won't announce when we get to it. But, but I understand we just can't do anything. That's not the way the Spirit of God thinks. It's not behavior modification. You know why behavior modification is such a bad thing? Because it leads to hypocrisy. Look at me. 
Look at how good. I've read my Bible and I pray. And you don't know how, how educated I am, preacher. I am a, a, uh, a, a spiritual giant. You should appreciate having me in your midst. And we can become very hypocritical. We look spiritually well done. But you're not going to find in the Bible it goes from the outside in, it goes from inside out. And if we take a look on the inside, we're raw and undone. Because our souls are distorted and we need to access the perfect righteousness placed within us in our new spirit where the Holy Spirit resides. So we've got to receive the truth of God's word deep within us. Remember, self cannot help self. Soul cannot fix soul. It cannot be righteous on its own. See, when a person goes into the things of the world, goes into to sexual sin, goes into a worldly music, goes into gratifying self, that's the soul. That's living on soul level. But do you know Christians can do right things? We can be as separated, we can be as, as strict, and we're still on a soul level because we're doing it. And it's still sin. In other words, God didn't move inside of us to cheer us on so that we could do the best that we can. No, he moved in because the same is true of sanctification as it was of salvation. We can't do it. We can't do it. I think some of you are convinced you can, but you keep trying, you're going to fall right into Satan's trap. You can't do it. But as we allow the new life of the Holy Spirit in our spirit to dominate, permeate, permeate our soul, we find that's where true victory resides. That's where lasting victory exists. So in the book of James, in James chapter 1, James talked about this in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness. In other words, deal with sin, unload the truck, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to, listen, save your souls. Now here's the thing you've got to understand. He's already talking to saved people. He's telling saved people, you need your soul to be saved. And so, again, you see the fallacy of, well, Jesus saved my soul. He didn't save it completely. He's in the process of saving. It's a sanctification process. And James is telling us how to cooperate with the saving of your soul. And that is by having the right humility and meekness towards the engrafted word of God and receive it. So that that word save means simply to deliver our soul. Deliver our soul from what? Sin. Deliver our soul from religion. Deliver our soul from soul, from self. And so the soul needs to be delivered. And this occurs through the enablement, the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life. And so as truth flows from your spirit because you've received it, you've accepted it, you've submitted to it, that's why the invitation, again, is so important. Anytime someone says, well, that's just some man-made, I'm not, I'm not going to respond as long as he's the one preaching, then you'll never have victory. You are not in victory. Because that is not meekness, that's not humility, and that is not recognizing the, the sin that exists on the soulish level. But as soul breathes in the righteousness of Christ... 
in that uh, realm uh, of our soul yielding to the spirit where the spirit of God exists, you'll find yourself understanding, I'm going to walk different. I'm going to think different. I'm going to talk different. I'm going to dress different. I'm going to choose friends differently. I'm going to spend money differently. I'm going to live different because I am different. And so, wrap this up. You've got to feed and nourish with the truth of God's word, your soul. You've got to surrender and submit to the spirit of God who lives within. If I told you I buried $10 million in your backyard, you would make some kind of effort to find out where it is and figure out where it is. You dig as deep and as you needed to dig because the thing you're digging for would have life impacting value. When you got saved, God deposited deep within inside of you all of the righteousness that belongs to Jesus Christ. But you cannot benefit from its restoring, transforming abilities unless you're willing to dig down deep with the shovel of truth so that God will release brand new, a brand new life surrounded by the secure protection of the breastplate of righteousness. So in closing, wearing the breastplate of righteousness, it involves walking securely, in your positional righteousness imputed into your life by virtue of the blood of Jesus and the cross of Calvary. That's why when we sing at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, years I spent in vanity and pride at Calvary. In other words, we're not just singing of some ancient old thing 2,000 years ago. We're singing of reality. The only reason I can have positional righteousness today was because it was imputed righteousness to my account by virtue of the cross. Don't ever get over the work of the cross. Wearing the breastplate of righteousness involves walking securely in that positional righteousness. Number two, this matter of wearing the breastplate of righteousness, it involves knowing how to get clean, get clean, come clean, get clean, stay clean in our practice of daily living righteousness. And then number three, feeding your spirit with the word of God so that the spirit who wrote the word living inside of you will be able to pump life into your soul And the soul, which is body, emotion, and will, is surrendered to God, not somewhere out there. But if you're saved, it literally lives inside. And when you take in, the soul reads the word, surrenders to the word, submits to the word. The author of the word of God living inside, he is saying, amen, amen. And he's pumping life into you and that you're able to say, this body has been telling me what to do. This body is going to rot in the ground while my God is going to live forever. And he literally lives in me. The breastplate of righteousness, positional and practical daily living. Let's stand together, please.